0: warning the following broadcast is not approved by your teacher university politician or government side effects may include skepticism better reasoning skills liberty peace and an escape from the woke welcome to the show i am your host lb muniz and this is the been awake podcast for better sense making If you are within the sound of my voice, and you haven't visited beenawake.com and subscribed with your email, I need you to follow me today. Got a jam-packed show, ladies and gentlemen, variations thereupon. Got a jam-packed show, got some news to share about the Substack, got some fun stuff happening in the world that, uh, fun, I use the, I use the term fun relatively speaking uh there's you know there's some bad things happening there's some good things happening um we're going to get into it cuz that's what you came here for 5 days of better sense making four articles and the podcast uh probably going to add more i don't know we'll get into that a little bit i wanted to start today last week i started the show last week i had a lot of technical difficulties and i swear to god if that happens again i'm going to i might i might have to die If it goes again, I'm probably going to buy the very expensive laptop MacBook that I have in my Amazon cart right now that I have been been spending the last week and a half deciding whether to buy it. But that's not, I want to make sure that my first five minutes are always really strong. So let me get right into what I want to start the show with. Last week, I asked the question, isn't it enough to say that something is a tragedy? Isn't it enough that when we have a mass shooting in the United States of America to say that it's a tragedy this week, tragedy struck again, this time it was in Colorado and there was a man outside of a grocery store who decided to end the lives of other people. Now, listen, if you're a two a supporter as I am, you need to recognize something. As we, this is this is the this is a political point I'm about to make. As we move into the next few months, we are going to have to reassert the right to bear arms. But that that was kind of to be expected. I've already written about this. If you go and listen to uh, you know the podcast from I think three or four weeks ago, when when Joe Biden came out and commemorated the Parkland shooting, this was already going to happen. You are already going to have to deal. With a president who wants to take away your guns you are already going to have to deal with a media who wants to take away your guns this is the way the board is set and too much of the second amendment community in this country pretends that the board is new every single time why because that's how they fundraise so let's be really clear here for a second because it's 2021 and yes i know it's kind of a dumb argument when somebody says that but for the love of god it's 2021. If somebody today there's a, there's there's there are some exceptions to what I'm about to say, but if somebody today still thinks that getting that doing an assault weapons ban is going to fix this country is going to fix the gun violence problem in the United States, they have chosen ignorance or they are a propagandist and you cannot fight a propagandist with facts and logic. And somebody who has chosen ignorance is not going to learn. So don't treat them like a student who, if you just educate them, is going to give the right answer on tomorrow's test. Because that's not what you're dealing with as it relates to mass shootings in the United States of America. And this question as to whether or not we should ban certain weapons or whether there is a right to bear arms, which of course there is. There's a right to self-defense. Why wouldn't that include firearms? And your rights are not up for debate. So don't debate it with somebody who's chosen ignorance. And if you're going to engage with a propagandist, then you need to listen to this show because you're going to learn how to do that better. Because I provide better sense-making and a deeper understanding of the world. And part of it is by recognizing how the board is set up. In the wake of the Atlanta shooting... Everything was about race. Every last little fracking headline had to do with the shooter's race and the race of his victims. Why? Because racism is the oldest and most persistent means of social control. It is how people at the top control the population. It doesn't matter what direction that racism is deciding to flow, given the currents. It doesn't matter if we're supposed to hate. I've noticed, by the way, that we have just completely gotten rid of the idea of using the term African-American, which is just an interesting thing to note. But it doesn't matter if that racism is directed towards Black Americans, White Americans, Asian Americans, Asians in general, Blacks in general, Whites in general. It doesn't matter because racism is the oldest and most persistent means of social control. That is what's happening when they racialize a narrative. And if you didn't notice the fact that a place like CNN was salivating, salivating at the fact that there was two shootings in two weeks, then you're not understanding what it is. This The coverage of events like that is pornography, is the exact same thing as pornography. And these people love being purveyors of pornography. I talked about last week when I was traveling that the CNN Chiron kept reading when I would go in when I would go in and out of the hotel three or four times the CNN Chiron always talked about the Georgia shooting always talked about the racial angle always talked about his victims and when the, the Colorado shooting started the same thing was happening until until And you know what? Before I do that, I have I have two things I actually pulled up on the Wayback Machine last week's CNN headline about the time that I normally record. And I remember going and checking it and remembering that there was actually a lot of um, there was there were multiple articles about about the Atlanta, Georgia shooting. And I think if I were to count it and when I counted it, it was about three articles. There were about three articles on the front page of CNN talking about the different racial angles and the gun angle for the Georgia shooting. Guess how many there are today? There isn't a single one. Why? Because it doesn't suit their racial narrative. Because it turns out by reports that I've seen, and fact check me on this, please and thank you the reports that I've seen seem to confirm the fact that this guy was not a white corn fed white bread, something or the other hick. Right. I've seen some reports that he was a Syrian immigrant. I don't know if that's true, but he was Muslim and we don't know to what extent. And we don't know what his motivation was. We don't know if this was a strict terrorist attack. We, we have been bombing Syria consistently for as you know, long as I can remember. Let us not forget. There is no there, there is nothing about the narrative now that serves the people at CNN and the corporate press, the propagandists of our age, the people that want to continually divide individuals against each other along racial lines. They don't care. <laughs> you know, good porn is not made, you know, there, I know there's, there's, there's a niche, for there's a kink for everything, fine. But there's not a lot of kissing in pornography, is there? Right? Like there, there are certain things that make something porn and then make something else erotica. I don't know why I'm stuck on this thing, on this particular metaphor. Maybe because it's, in my mind, it's very impactful. Do we really think... I'm just, I'm just asking a question. I have no evidence to support this per se. I am going to put this out there in the ether because I think it is worth considering. I have maintained for a number of years in my private life, and I will do it now as a public, as, as somebody who's doing a podcast and, a content, and doing content creation. I have maintained for a number of years that this so-called epidemic of mass shooting is in large part A media is media driven it is driven by the fact that when something like this happens hours and hours of it are played on networks like cnn without that without something like that happening we wouldn't see the same amount of mass shootings as we do today that's that that is what i believe why because The epidemic of gun violence is mostly a factor of gang violence. And if we wanted to solve gang violence, there's a lot of things we can do. But instead, we always focus on when middle class, affluent, white, I'll play into the racial narrative, fine. When those sorts of people get killed, that's when you pay attention. I've lived most of my life outside of and near Chicago we're a laughing stock of the it's literally the butt end of everybody's joke that there is always violence in chicago how much did they, but but you, but you're right we need to ban guns because that's going to solve things so listen, so I hope I, I hope the Second Amendment community hears me. I hope people who support gun rights hear me because you got to change the way we have to change the way we are debating these types of issues and we are bringing and we are talking about these types of issues. Why? Because the empire is coming home. They I, it, it seems very obvious to me that there are elements within the government who are trying to make a power grab during joe biden's presidency to the extent that he is in control of the situation i doubt immensely but that doesn't matter do you understand it doesn't matter that our president whether the president has dementia because that's not where the power really lies you need to watch the flow and you need to find the current and that's what we talk about here on the show I don't, I don't think there's anything better or more to say about the issue. You can't argue with people who have choos- chosen, ignorance. So you know what? Make sure you find find the people that you can talk to and have discussions with them. Absolutely. But if you're doing the whole keyboard warrior thing right now, you're fighting a losing game, especially as it relates, especially as it relates to gun rights and pay very, very close attention. Republicans. Pay very close attention to not only your beloved politicians, conservatives, pay very close attention to all of those God-fearing Republicans, so-called. Pay very close attention to them and pay very close attention to the police. Because who the hell do you think is going to take the guns away from you? There is no such thing as gun control. There is only gun centralization. What we are talking about here is making sure the only actors, the only individuals that can have a firearm are the people who nobody trusts to have them. How, how many different articles are there about rising anti-police sentiment, especially in high and dense, densely populated urban areas? I find it very convenient that these things are happening. That's that, 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 that is just what I think about the situation. In other news, <laughs> no, let's stay, actually, you know what, let's stay on this topic because this, uh, in, in another situation, somebody on Twitter, um, asked me to cover this story. So I will just make a little mention of it now. And thankfully, 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 it looks like this is not going to end in a bloodbath. Um, but it looks like there was a gentleman who I've seen reported as uh, his name is Omar. Um, I saw the last name. I've seen him reported that he was a Syrian immigrant. I've also seen a report, maybe just of Syrian descent, I should say, um, reports that he was a veteran uh, and there was some kind of standoff that occurred. With him and the police in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, thankfully, thankfully, it looks like he has surrendered to the police and, um, he is, uh, and he seems to be doing okay. If you'd like, I will throw this Twitter thread and an article I read on the subject in the show notes page. What the only thing I think I can offer to a story like this, other than, um, Other than uh, just bringing awareness to an issue like this, because these sorts of things happen a lot. And what I've seen some people say, and I can't confirm is that this had something to do with red, uh, red, red. What is it? Red light laws, red, uh, red ticket laws. Wow. Can't believe I can't remember the word right now. It's on the tip of my tongue. Red flag laws. There we go. And these red flag laws basically allow people to say, well, they don't get their guns anymore. And so the police have to come and take away the guns. You know, if it's true that this man was a veteran, it would make sense that he has some kind of post-traumatic stress, given the traumatic experience that war is. And, you know, again, thankfully, it seems like the situation has resolved itself. But I think I watched a couple of clips from it. Um, His girlfriend put out a bunch of stuff saying that there were issues with his parents, issues with the family. There are always issues in situations like this, right? I don't think it's right. I don't listen. I, I wouldn't be somebody. I, I wouldn't be somebody who would look forward to a standoff with the cops. And I don't think I don't know that this gentleman is. I can't really comment on it. But like I said, somebody wanted to talk to me about it. But I think there is something that we need to be keeping in mind. And it connects not only. The stories we just talked about—the the shooting, the shooting in Atlanta, Georgia, the shooting in in, in uh, Colorado—I don't remember the city. This hostage situation, or rather, this standoff situation—this this police standoff in Ann Arbor, Michigan—and also, what's going on in Miami Beach? You know, I I will admit I have um at my you know at my day job I we had a meeting. Uh, you know, we have a we have a big meeting every Monday and, you know, usually there's a little banter beforehand. And there, somebody made some kind of comments about how, oh, you know, you see they're kind of, they're, they're cracking down on the Miami Beach spring breakers. And, and I kind of, it, it rubbed me the wrong way at the moment because I don't like the curtailing of civil liberties. But I did a little more research into the story and I wasn't really prepared to talk about this. So I don't really have an article pulled up on it, but... I did a little more research into the, into the story. And I will say, I will say this. I do think that there is a thread connecting a lot of these things and it has everything to do with mental health. I talk a little bit about trauma this week, so we're going to get into that in one of the articles. Um, and, And trauma and mental health are, of course, very closely linked. The government has turned good people into prisoners. The government has put peop- many people in the equivalent of solitary confinement under the guise of safety, under the guise of, uh, um, you know, this pandemic thing that we've all been living under for the last year. And one thing that it certainly seems obvious to me, I have le- I have been fortunate enough to live a very with few exception, right? There's obviously, obviously nobody has really escaped this except for perhaps the the most rich among us. But I have been fortunate enough to where I've been able to live a similar lifestyle to what I've, I'm used to living. I'm not somebody who ever really went to large crowded places. You know, I, I'll go to a bar with some friends every now and again, I like doing more intimate gatherings as it is. Um, But that's not the same for other people. And I think a lot of people hit their breaking point over the last year. So many of us have uploaded our consciousness in some ways to the algorithm on these social media platforms. I worry, I really worry how people are going to come back from this. And I don't think that everybody is. And I've been thinking about how I can help people in my own personal circles who, who have struggled with this um, more than I have. Isolation is not good for us as social creatures. And especially in instances where there's family dysfunction, these sorts of problems are going to um, maximize. So, what's, what's the through line? And I can't, I, I'm, again, this is, I'm not laying out a definitive case here. I'm, I'm just speaking from the heart. Honestly, is it really so first off, there's the economic case, right? If we're talking, let's, let's, let's stick with the smaller, let's stick with the less violent um, instances. And I think that'll kind of draw the picture a little bit better as it relates to the spring spring break in Florida. First off, Florida is known as one of the only places to go because it's open on top of that. Florida is known as a spring break destination, places like Miami beach, Pentacola city, Interesting, though, that it's Miami Beach in particular. And a lot of people have been going to Miami. Why? Because it's one of the only major cities that has had any kind of that has maintained any kind of openness. You know, it's funny. I heard that's where the police were dispersing crowds is where I used to go to the beach on the few occasions that I would do when I lived in Miami, Ethan Ocean. There's the economic case, which is that, you know, Florida is the only place to go and it's very cheap to fly and to travel right now if you're so inclined relative to what it would normally be. Right. Usually it's like four to five hundred dollars, probably even seven hundred dollars on the drop of a dime to fly to a place like Miami. Now it's probably three. And everybody's got their, you know, their stimulus money. So you have the economic conditions that means more people are going to go to a place like this. And you also have everybody being cooped up for the last year. And one thing I've noticed and that I talked to other people and I've felt this as well. And, and, and if you and if you have too, let me know, um, you know, you can leave me a comment on Substack If you're a subscriber, find me on social media at the LB Muniz M-U-N-I-Z. Uh, let me know if you felt this, too, because as we've transitioned from winter into spring, I feel like. There has been a huge urge and there has been an urge inside of everybody to get out, to get out of the house, to go outside, to be somewhere, to do something. I think that is entirely natural, right? That is what the springtime is for. It is renewal in, you know, in our myth and legend, it is a time of renewal. It is quite literally when the world becomes alive again. And we're and we're supposed to fight against that. If, if though, rather, let me rephrase: those who give themselves willingly to the government are fighting against that. And then you have so many people that are in the middle, where they've listened to everything that you're supposed to do. To what? For what? To to still have to you know be locked down, to be sitting on their butts, not working because it's it's they make more money on unemployment. all of these things are coming together. We, there's plus the untold, all the untold health risks of staying inside all the things that we're, there, this is such a complicated issue. It's why I laugh at people like Dr. Fauci. I get that, you know, he's supposed to do that. He's supposed to try and make things simple, especially as a government agent. Um, I won't get to it today, but there's an editorial that Dr. Scott Atlas put out over the weekend that you should really read. And of course, I have the interview with Dr. Bhattacharya uh, as uh, the content recommendation from two weeks ago. Again, I'd highly recommend checking these things out so you can kind of learn the alternative viewpoint that we could have. There, There was a very easy case to be made for an alternative reality through 2020 into 2021. And it's just interesting to note right now, and I'm sure it's like this in your life, everybody around you seems to be getting their pricks and their pokes, even though, you know, because even though, remember a few months ago, remember when everybody was, th- and I say remember, not because I particularly care about Donald Trump, but it's important to understand framing and the way that the press operates. Remember when I, I even said it on this show that I didn't think it was likely that Trump was going to get the vaccine out, but the vaccine did get out and it wasn't Trump, it was these big corporations. But you know now, now suddenly things look good because we're we're moving through a dark winter because we have somebody right and and again the framing from these propagandists is that you know things are going to get better. Everybody and what I've noticed that everybody's like, listen, this is just what I have to do to get back to normal. And if this is what I have to do to get back to normal, then that's good because I need to get back to normal. That seems to be and and. I can't fault people for thinking like that because most of your news digest, most of your information digest, is telling you exactly that. I'm just not one of those people. I've trained my brain. I've trained my brain over the last decade to work to look for the incongruities in 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 the way we talk and in the way messaging is done at the highest levels of society. And you know, that's why this is such a good show. Speaking of one of the ways that the media frames things, Monday, on Monday, I talked about how our president canceled student debts. What a joyous day for student loan borrowers. I have have no sympathy. I have no sympathy for people struggling with their student loans, but it's not for the reasons you think. I am not one of these tone-deaf conservatives who mime some ridiculous argument about how you took the debt out, it's yours to pay back. Oh man, I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. Um, So I am, I am going to be painfully honest. Funny that it's easier to write this than to say it out loud. I am going to be painfully honest about my history with student debt for a moment. Right after I turned 18 years old, I was getting ready to fly across the country to attend my first semester of college. The idea of a gap year or community college was not an option at the high school I graduated from. Because the high school I graduated from sent people to college. That's why it was called college prep. I also graduated in the year 2010. Just two years after the worst recession in modern history, thanks to the Federal Reserve. Now, of course, I had some abstract notion about the amount of money that I was about to finance going to university. In my mind at the time, though, the army was going to pay for the rest. I'll be honest, the Army thing never happened. In retrospect, I'm very thankful I didn't sign a contract with the Army. But I sure as hell wish. But I, but I do well, actually, you know, I, what I wrote was, I wish I hadn't signed one with my loan servicer. But as I'm sitting here reading through this article, I'm actually thinking maybe it would have been better for me to sign my life away to the Army because at least I would be on the other side of it at this point in my life. let the records show that i lb am that statistic i am that millennial who attended over 4 years of college without obtaining a bachelor's degree i currently owe well into six figures of student debt i won't lie i used there was a, there's been a lot of shame that i've had to work through that's been atta- that that I've attached to this level of debt that I've accumulated, and frankly, the only reason why I'm comfortable sharing it is because while it's not, you know, it's not over, I have it under control, and I've been able to work to a point to where I've been able I can make my payments every single month and still have an okay life. And it's only now, that's that's the only reason why I feel comfortable sharing it. I don't believe that there is anything just about the amount of debt that I have accumulated. And there is no good free market reason to justify the debt crisis of today. Like most things blamed on capitalism, the student debt crises, crisis is the creation of a corrupt government who prefers a debt-laden and thereby subservient population. Because that's what I am, in effect. I am a debt slave. I I honestly, I don't know if I address it. I honestly will be unless when things change, this will this this fact might this fact might change. As as my as I do better, as I make more money, because that's all gonna happen. As it will it will get better but as it stands right now i will be paying off these loans until i'm almost 50 years old and my only option is to make more money so that it doesn't matter because it's rigged you see it's a rigged game i should want people have told me this before i should want the government to bail me out i should support i should support politicians like bernie sanders but I don't. Why? Because I understand economics. Moreover, I can't stand socialists. So let's, let's talk for a second what student debt actually means. Because I'm sure you've seen the headline that Joe Biden canceled $1 billion of student debt. So according to a liar at Forbes.com, <clears throat> excuse me, according to a contributor at Forbes.com, Zach Friedman, America is reacting to $1 billion of student loan cancellation. I've written before about this propagandist extraordinaire, but let's see what he has to say this time. I really can't stand this guy. He says student loan cancellation is here, and the U.S. Department of Education just canceled $1 billion of student loans for, for 72,000 student loan borrowers. These student loan borrowers previously had some student loans canceled, but now we'll get the full student loan cancellation if they attended a school that engaged in deceptive or illegal practices or closed suddenly. Student loan borrowers have been hoping for financial relief, and they say Biden delivered on his promise. Not only did Biden ensure student loan cancellation, but he did so in the first 100 days of his administration. Remember this, by the way. Remember the way this guy frames this ridiculous story. Importantly, this student loan cancellation will be tax-free to the student loan borrowers. The new stimulus package makes student loan forgiveness tax-free through December 31st, 2025. I don't know what that means. Here's what actually happened. Now, I'm, I'm bringing up the framing point, and we've discussed it as a rhetorical tool. If, you, uh, if you're curious about that, you can go read my article, Elon Musk Shows the Way. I discussed the idea of framing there. So the headline was that Joe Biden cancels $1 billion in student loan loans. Remember, most people only read the headline. What if that same headline said, 0.6% of student loan canceled by Joe Biden? Because that's what actually happened. I'm now going to read from the same piece, from that same piece of propaganda from Forbes.com. The latest student loan debt statistics show that 45 million borrowers collectively owe $1.7 trillion of student loan debt. On a percentage basis, $1 billion of student loan forgiveness equates to 0.6 of all student loans outstanding. That is less than 1%. Similarly, 72,000 student loan borrowers represents about 0.2% of all student loan borrowers. So, do remember that most people will only read the headline that $1 billion of student debt was canceled. And even fewer will read a piece in its entirety. And the, that quote that I brought out for you guys is like, you know, four or five paragraphs in. It's close to the bottom, as you might imagine. It's the same thing with these stories where they like issue the correction four months later. We've talked about this also with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. This is why I got to listen to the show, by the way. This is what I'm talking about when I'm saying I'm giving you an understanding of what the board looks like is this is a very in. I don't remember the exact term, but I think even in like official J school, they'll still teach it. You're supposed to like write in an inverted pyramid. I think that's what it's called. The idea is you put the big pieces of information at the top and then you kind of fill your way down as opposed to like telling a story or you doing an essay where you're going to like start a little bit with your with your preamble and then you're kind of work through your main thesis and like you're you're defending your arguments. So like journalists are actually trained to put, you know, in the most important details at the top and the least important details at the bottom. Do you why do you think why do you think for for the sake of argument, why do you think that. is kind of buried like six paragraphs into this article. Don't you think that's an important, I think that's, I think that's hugely important if we want to understand what the student loan crisis is and what the government so-called is doing to fix it. Less than 1%. How is this a victory? Here's what's actually going on, by the way. One of the only ways, and trust me when I say I have read every single piece of legislation and regulation on this to try and figure out ways to get my student to get to get some sort of relief as it relates to student loans. One of the only ways that you can qualify for student loan forgiveness is if your university goes out of business before you can graduate or they defraud you in a very specific manner. Defrauding you, by the way, does not include giving you a degree that doesn't really make you any money defrauding you doesn't include not working with you and so you continually fail classes that's not defrauding under the trump administration education secretary betsy devos claimed that full forgiveness wasn't a good option i apologize if i am overloading the mic on this episode maybe we're going to push it back a little bit Education Secretary Betsy DeVos claimed that full forgiveness wasn't a good option. And Biden is now saying that these people who have already qualified for the only minuscule way that you can actually get student loan forgiveness, he's now saying that they're going to get the rest of their loans forgiven. That is what happened. Stories like this are driven by the headline. Another example of how the corporate press does the bidding of the federal government. So what are the solutions, LB? What can we do? What can we possibly do? This seems so insurmountable. It's not. It's, it's actually a really simple thing to fix. I have, you know, I'll, I, you know, before I get into that, I'll tell you the story of how I fixed it. It was at a party. I fixed the student loan debt crisis at a party one night. This was a number of years ago. I was in uh, Kentucky visiting one of my good friends and he had, uh, you know, he had some people over at his house you know, as I I was and perhaps am want to do when I'm in those types of environments, I like to engage people in conversation. I don't remember the gentleman who I was speaking to. I do recall that he has basically some, you know, default Marxist tendencies as a consequence of his education. And he asked me, as it relates to the student, like how he said, obviously, this is a free market failure. And we kind of went back and forth on that idea. And he finally got to the point. like, okay, well, if it's not, how is it, how is it that the market, what is the market mechanism to fix something like this? And I'm not going to lie to you, good people. I, I had to think about it. I didn't have an answer. I did not have an answer right away. It took me a little bit to come up with the answer, but once I did, and I think it was, it was at that same party. Like just just to cut just a few minutes just a, maybe thirty minutes later and after another whiskey or something. The free market solution to the student loan crisis is bankruptcy. The only solution is for the universities firstly and the banks second. Yeah, you know. They're both first. The universities and the banks need to be held liable for the loans that they allowed impressionable young adults to take out. Cancelling or forgiving the debt does not accomplish this task. If writers like Friedman over at Forbes.com want to tell their readers the truth, they would point out any, what we're talking about right here. Any major student debt cancellation, this $1 billion, do you know what's actually happening? The government is paying those loans. Any student loan cancellation is actually giving taxpayer dollars to the banks that loaned out the money to begin with. This will lead to higher taxes or more printing by the Fed, which devalues the dollar and so is a tax by another means. This bailout method has the added benefit. Here's and here's why they want to do it. Here is why they want to have the student, the all the loan, all the big banks bailed out when it comes to student loans. This, is the, by the way, the economics of this are so clear. It's the same exact thing with all the vaccines that people are getting right now, all the COVID testing that's happened over the last year. All of this is just a wealth transfer from taxpayers to multinational billion-dollar corporations. It's not like they're getting a good... It's not like they're doing this out of the kindness of their hearts, people. The bailout method also has the added benefit of not upsetting the delicate house of cards that is our current financial order. Remember, something like 25% of all dollars in existence were printed in the year 2020. By contrast, holding banks and universities to account via bankruptcy and lawsuit would allow individual borrowers to shed most, if not all, of their original debt, freeing them to invest in a future for themselves and their community. I will pay for the mistakes of my early 20s until I am nearly 50 years old. My only crime was trusting the people around me that financing my future away was a good idea. And, and there were people who warned me at the time, and I didn't listen because I had other things going on. I have only gotten this debt under control by working harder and making more money. I will not wallow in self-pity, but I will fight for a freer future, and hopefully my story will help others not make the same mistake. Let's talk, um, let's talk about this piece I wrote about breaking code silence. You know, Part of um, influence and marketing and sales, at least as far as I've been learning about it and understanding it, is, is that you have to meet people where they are and you have to meet people at the right time. Sometimes it's the right person at the right time with the right message that really gets through. And this story in particular, I'm not going to lie to you guys, it hit me at the right time. Remember the catch me outside, girl? She took the internet by storm in 2016 with her appearance on the famed daytime show, Dr. Phil. A quick note about your author. Shows like this were never part of my media consumption growing up. I didn't watch Jerry Springer, Maury, Judge Judy, or any other daytime TV shows. Not as a child. As an adult, I'll, I've peeked into ever, to a few of them at different times. Um, but, you know, it was never like something that I watched before I was conscious. BuzzFeed reporter Scotchy Cool wrote recently about canceling Dr. Phil, and her experience with the show is different. I'd recommend the article. It's worth, it's worth your perusal. And yes, I know. It's BuzzFeed. I started watching Dr. Phil, she writes, in junior high. After an, af- an after-school activity, my mother made me do with her as some botched attempt to get us to talk about, quote, serious topics. She made me watch the teen episodes in particular ones where young girls were seduced by nameless gangs. This was not a risk for me, she writes, or hard drugs, weed. It was only ever just weed. (laughs) After an awkward hour of watching McGraw berate, I think that's Dr. Phil's last name, by the way, of watching McGraw berate the parents, my mother would turn to me and ask, so what did you learn? The real answer was absolutely nothing, But the one that got her off my back was Don't Go Near a Boy. In my adulthood, I started watching the show again, just as kind of a familiar background noise, and discovered that it had morphed into something much more caustic and ugly. There are episodes exploiting people's devastating alcohol addictions, older men and women getting catfished by a fake Nikki Six, and a constant parade of, quote, bad teenagers, eventually set right after being referred to a horse-centric boarding school. The show's sole purpose is now seemingly all about displaying people's difficulties in their crudest forms and less about actually trying to help them. In all things, this is me talking now, in all things, how adults choose to humiliate or mutilate their identity and sense of self is one thing. It may sound cruel to hear, but there comes a point when personality is set And people will not break a chain of addiction or abuse or abuse, especially if they are not allowed to reach rock bottom. This, what everything I just said, though, is not the case with children and teens who are malleable and eager to please. They deserve protection. And it is a sad realization that I have come to that too many people are left traumatized in their upbringing. Trauma, trauma is a word that is simultaneously, I would argue, undervalued and overused in our time. I'll say, that, I'll say that sentence again so you can kind of meditate on it. Trauma is a word that is simultaneously undervalued and overused in our time. I make it a point to say that I do not write for a broad audience. Only free men and women who are looking for a deeper understanding of the world come to this show and read the stuff I write and listen to what I have to say. Well, if you're looking for that, here goes. In the broadest sense of the word, many have experienced trauma in their childhood and adolescence. It doesn't matter whether there is an obvious hierarchy to trauma, the subjective nature of reality is mediated through your individual lens and therefore is valid to a point. The danger of today's world is that trauma has been generalized to such an extent, for many it is a function of existence rather than experience. I'm going to repeat that again. The danger of today's world, today's reality, if you will, is that trauma has been generalized to such an extent, for many it is a function of who they are as a person, as opposed to something that has happened to them. As we've also discussed in a previous article, the amplification of victimhood has created, has literally created a new moral culture for many people. Now, I have two footnotes on that paragraph. The first is to kind of draw a better idea of what I'm saying, as it relates to the fact that most people have experienced trauma. And I'm going to be callous here for a minute. Being physically or sexually abused is far worse than your grandmother dying of old age. Both, however, can rightly be considered traumatic. And the reason why the victim morality exists is under an intersectional model, oppression is the result of historical trauma and certain individuals are entitled to claims of trauma based on their group identity versus their actual experience. While you cannot change the past, the past does not have to control your future. One consequence of the victim culture is that it traps the participants in perpetuating the cycle that harmed them to begin with. Listen, I do not pretend to have the final answers to these sorts of deep questions. I am somebody plodding along in the dark, trying to figure out my own mistakes, my own problems, my own past, and I'm holding up a lantern that shines brighter on some days and dimmer on others. But here's the thing the natural state of the universe is one of total darkness consider that most of most of the univer, known universe is empty space and that space is by definition empty and that only where light exists in the perfect amount what astrophysicists will call the goldilocks Jones, zone excuse me only where light exists in the perfect amount is life able to flourish Now I'm going to tie. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the Breaking Code Silence project, but let's stick on this idea for a minute here. There's a libertarian meme talking point that's that says that the default state of man is poverty. So if you want to ask how to make things better, you shouldn't ask what makes somebody poor. You should ask what makes what makes them rich. I don't. I, I do address it explicitly, but. I hope you've been able to understand that a lot of what I'm trying to show on this, demonstrate on this show is, is mindset, is how you can form your thoughts to create a better world for yourself. That's why I'm only writing for free men and women, because other, because, because people who give themselves willingly to government or give themselves willingly to another sort of uh, another similar kind of entity. They're not interested in this. In fact, somebody unsubscribed from this newsletter after reading this article. I don't know who they were. I hope they come back. Most of the universe is empty, dark space. Darkness is Darkness is the default, people. And yes, I'm trying to draw a comparison to trauma in this regard. But that's why Trauma shouldn't be. Trauma should not be, the, the the defining characteristic of who you are. How you overcome trauma could be the defining characteristic of who you are, because that's going to make you stronger and better and freer as a result. I trust me. Try. If, I, I. I hope. I hope you understand. If you're listening to this, that I'm not saying it's easy. There's nothing easy about it. I'm not saying... I am saying that bad things happen, though. And if you spend your days wallowing in the fact that something bad happened to you, you are only giving power to evil and darkness. That's why I'm holding up my lantern here. And I'm saying, take a few more steps. If you're in that situation, you know, with this, with, with this gentleman in Ann Arbor, Michigan, you understand it's, it's connected with Omar. It's connected. I won't compare myself to a murderer, but arguably the, you know, unless the person shows a pattern of violence, there is such a thing as there is such a thing as people snapping. And it comes from isolation, and it comes from trauma, and it comes from bad family dynamics. And it's a lot to try and work against. I know. But if you're not going to work for it, what are you doing? Breaking Code Silence is a social movement organized by survivors of institutional child abuse and activists to raise awareness of the problems in the troubled teen industry and the need for reform. By using, they say on their website, by using our many voices to tell our stories, we aim to create, change, and protect vulnerable youth from abuse. I discovered them because the, um, the Catch Me Outside girl, now better known by her uh, rap name Bad Baby, Released a video discussing her experience with the troubled teen industry, Dr. Phil, and other connected people's support. I can't embed the video from Facebook in the article, but I'm, uh, let's see, if I can, I'm going to play this video for you guys now. Okay, good. Looks like I can play it. One second.
1: Preferences. They even. It's time for a short and scary history lesson. I want to fill you in on the twisted story behind the troubled teen industry. Some are asking, what is the troubled teen industry? The troubled teen industry is a vast and highly profitable network of programs and facilities that advertise treating, rehabilitating, or reforming troubled youth. There are hundreds of these in the United States, ranging from wilderness programs, behavior modification programs, boot camps, therapeutic boarding schools, religious programs, rehabs, and more. They take kids with problems ranging from serious psychiatric disorders, drug abuse, trauma issues, to kids who have difficult family relationships or just aren't performing to their parents' preferences. They even take LGBT kids simply for being LGBT. And with around 50,000 children being kept in this industry every year, chances are high that you know someone who has been in it. The problem isn't about kids needing treatment. It's that much of the industry claiming to treat them is barely overseen, underregulated, and riddled with abuse. These children are dollar signs, and it's big money, and as we all know, big money brings big corruption. So, on to the history. How did this mess get started? With a cult. That's right, a cult. Don't give up on me here, it's about to get interesting. In the late 50s and early 60s, a recovery group called Synanon formed as an offshoot of the 12-step program Alcoholics Anonymous. Synanon centered around a therapy attempt they dubbed The Game in which members would gather and hone in on each individual member to berate, humiliate, and pick the person apart until they were humbled enough to grow. The group exploded in membership and rose in popularity to the point that they had a prominent building on the beach in Santa Monica, California, and even California courts would issue requirements to juvenile drug offenders to attend. Synanon quickly evolved into what has been called one of the most dangerous and violent cults in American history. Members had to shave their heads, couples were split and required to recouple with new partners, There were forced sterilizations and forced abortions, and the game, as they called it, was a furious, violent, and brutal attack therapy event that all members had to participate in. Many were hospitalized with injuries from these beatings, and members were afraid to leave under threat of worse violence. LAPD got involved, the leadership of Synanon collapsed, and the cult slowly disbanded. But not before those inspired by Synanon's tactics went on to start their own programs. Art Barker started a program called The Seed in 1974 soon to follow, was Straight Inc. and SEDU Schools. A former Synanon member, Mel Wasserman, founded SEDU Schools, the beginning of therapeutic boarding schools, and would take children with behavioral or substance abuse issues and apply the same concepts used in Synanon to fix them. Despite scrutiny and claims that the brainwashing methods used on individuals in these programs were a violation of their right to freedom, nothing was done to end the practice. One could say part of the reason for this was the close political ties held by those who profited from the programs. For example, Joseph Seppala and Mel Sembler, the founders of Straight Inc., co-chaired in raising 25 million for the Bush campaign and would later be given ambassadorships to Spain and Australia. Both were major donors to the Republican Party. The connections continue, but that's a story for another time. Through brainwashing, coercion, and more attack therapy, programs like Straight Inc. were a disaster for vulnerable kids. And the programs that evolved from there were just as bad. In some cases, much worse thus began a wave of what can be called the tough-love approach to treating troubled kids. More and more facilities began to open their doors, advertising their ability to fix and reform wayward youth. As the war on drugs and paranoia about teen delinquency rose up during the Reagan administration, parents were gripped with fears about their in many cases normal teenagers, and there, conveniently, were now a myriad of troubled teen programs ready to relieve these parents of their worries and promising to put their kids on the right path. Even Nancy Reagan herself would sing the praises of programs like Straight Inc. and the need for tough love on delinquent kids. Straight Inc. would later be shut down for their unusual punishments and abuses, but the seed had been sown, and the troubled teen industry grew strong roots with facilities and programs everywhere by the 1990s. It remains, somehow, a secret American staple. Programs have opened and closed all over. At times, there were facilities where kids were kept in dog kennels, severely beaten and subjected to an unending list of inhumane treatment, like being forced to eat their own vomit. As the worst programs were shut down, the ownership would often simply rebrand and open again in a new location. This still happens. Indeed, some of the same people who profited from this industry in the 1970s are still profiting from it today. While some reform has happened since the worst years, kids are still being abused in this industry every day. Programs have been known to use isolation to punish and break children restraint is misused and can cause severe injury or death. Kids are over-medicated or sedated for convenience, and because it's cheaper to hire underqualified and poorly trained staff, physical abuse, sexual abuse, and neglect are far too common. At the core of it all are dangerous pseudotherapies with no scientific proof of long-term effectiveness, which at best help a few, and at worst damage the mind of a child for life. And the kids, if they dare to speak out, are easily shut down. Because after all, who believes the troubled child over a professional adult. To those who research this industry, it becomes quickly clear that the abuse hasn't truly gotten better. Rather, the most successful and profitable facilities have gotten much better at hiding it. But we know, and now you know, and that's our greatest weapon for change. I, um, I don't know.
0: I think it's, I really, like I said, this This particular video and this movement really hit me uh just like i was i was looking at a lot of the um a lot of the testimony that these people have put out and you know i i guess you know and i was thinking back and i wasn't a particularly troubled teen per se i was just thinking back to how you would kind of hear about these sorts of things and you know apparently this sort of, and there was there's of course that um with like the teen lockup show where they bring kids to the prison. And I always found that to be uh, a little disturbing shows like that. Um, The idea that. So what we just got was a crash course and how it hurts, how these things hurt children more than it helps. I do think. I will probably learn a little bit more. About this Synanon group and some other stuff, but you know, I there was a lot of cultural damage done during the height of the war on drugs in the 1980s, and an offshoot, according to this organization, is this billion-dollar industry. Not only is it lucrative, but people at the top have close political ties, and and apparently industry ties as well. What's fascinating about stories like this is how like the pieces and the players connect here. We have a horrible story about troubled teens that are carried away in handcuffs at the behest of their parents and taken to the middle of the woods where their agency is denied. Allegedly a major TV figure like Dr. Phil, who was only only created because of somebody like Oprah. And Oprah is the one who interviews and works with princes and princesses and makes sure that the highest levels of celebrity get their message out there in the best way possible. And these sorts of people that are working with Dr. Phil also donated to the Bush family and the Reagan can was was shouted out by people like Nancy Reagan and probably Bill Clinton and a bunch of other oligarchs. They're complicit in this kind of systemic abuse. I made it a point of sharing a couple of weeks ago the study that demonstrated that we don't live in a representative democracy or a representative republic. Those in power would like to claim. The sociopolitical landscape of 21st century America makes far more sense. Remember, we're learning what the board is on this show. We're learning how the players move. I'm not trying to create my own game here. If it was, it would look a lot different, <laughs> right? The sociopolitical landscape of the 21st century makes more sense when you recognize that there is a loosely organized ruling class and that, generally speaking, you and I are not a part of it. Most of us aren't in the same club as Dr. Phil, Oprah, and the Bush family. And moreover, there are many people who have been led to believe that these individuals in positions of power and influence have your best interest at heart. The the suburban mother who has a troubled teenager because she never talked to her daughter growing up and she never gave her daughter an understanding of who she was, what her history is, what her future could be. The types of things that she struggled with and never shared any of that because her mother never shared any of that with her. But that woman's going to watch Dr. Phil and say, ooh, I can send my kid to to a camp for troubled teens. Do you understand? There are many people who have been led to believe these individuals have their best interest at heart. What destroys me is not how adults act. It doesn't destroy me that some idiot adult made a bad decision. It destroys me that minors involved are denied their humanity in the name of progress. I don't have any children. But the idea that I would send them away to some kind of rehab camp for pathological behavior is about as foreign an idea as tattooing my face. Cycles of abuse and trauma are easy to repeat. If for no other reason, then it's very difficult to look at those who raised us as responsible for harm. This leads people to justify physical abuse, psychological abuse, and so on in minor or major forms, most commonly with something like spanking. It's very very easy. I've it's very easy to make jokes about the spectacle we see on daytime television. It's very easy to make jokes about Bad Baby. Danielle is her real name. I can't remember her last name off the top of my head. It's very easy to make jokes about her. <laughs> I'm, you know, just just for it I this is going to make me sound cruel, but you know, like for example, she's giving her a very heartfelt speech, but she has like these super elongated fake nails that are like three or four inches. And so because of the way that the set is mic'd, as she's kind of moving her hands to talk and listen, I talk with my hands. Um, you can like hear the clacking of the nails and it's just, it was kind of like, it, it, it kept taking me out of this really, really horrible story that I was, that I was listening to. Hopefully. This kind of entertainment, this daytime TV entertainment, will soon enough be in the dustbin of, uh, of history. For a more peaceful future, if you want to live in a peaceful future, and I do, we need to start with those that are most vulnerable. And that is absolutely children. While it is a voluntary show, it's worth considering the cultural impact of a show like Dr. Phil and whether you should ever watch it again. let's uh we got one more story and then i have some news and update thanks for sticking with the show so far make sure you're subscribed by the way if you haven't go follow me on twitter instagram i put stuff out every day how unions help their workers but by the way if you're going to do one thing can you give me your email address please and thank you you need to follow me if you don't follow me you're not going to know where we're going Let's talk about how unions help their workers. I think I'm supposed to start this article by saying that I have no issues with collective bargaining. And I guess I don't. Theoretically speaking, employees coming together to address poor working conditions or some other serious issue that an employer refuses to address or take care of makes a lot of sense. Most of our history textbooks will extol the virtues of unions as the bulwarks against the predation, so-called, of capitalists. This, by the way, should tell you something about the people who write history textbooks. Unions have always served as a barrier to entry. Despite whatever else they may do, their job is to keep workers outside of the union from earning a living. Last week, I laid out one key element of the progressive mindset. That there are those who must follow, and those who must follow are cared for by those who must lead. Remember, these are people who give themselves willingly. These are people who choose ignorance. This is why people think that they must go to a government to earn a higher wage or maintain the erroneous belief that without a government mandated wage, people would, quote, work for free. Union propaganda has a lot to do with this as well. Even though Henry Ford didn't have a union shop, to my knowledge, we're supposed to believe that unions are responsible for the 40 hour work week, that they're responsible for weekends and holidays. Similar to governments, unions take the accomplishments of others, of others in society and recast the story, putting themselves front and center. Anecdotally, the word union is more of a warning about how the workers act, lethargically, to be polite, and how uh, about how the workers act, and lethargically is what I experience in my line of work. Let us not forget, human beings respond to incentives. Human beings respond to incentives, and the incentive structure for the union rewards the lazy and punishes the productive. Public sector unions, by the way, are some of the most corrupt institutions on the face of the planet. This is because they combine the worst elements of government, monopoly force, with the power of, quote, collective bargaining. In many states, unions have negotiated with lawmakers to guarantee the rate of return from the market. Or uh, To guarantee a rate of return for the pension funds is what I meant to say, which which usually is in and which is usually in excess of what the actual market returns are. While most of us, of us taxpayers retirement benefits are tied to the stock market, these pensions are determined by words written down before the dot com bubble and before the financial crisis of 2008. But it gets worse than that. Police unions are the greatest barrier to police reform in a country that supposedly cares about criminal justice. And unions are integral to the progressive to the progressive worldview. Moreover, so-called infamous rubber rooms in New York City house teachers that have abused students, but the city literally cannot fire. Look it up. Rubber rooms. It's true. Here's a dirty little secret that progressives, socialists and the unions don't want people to know. If you're a good worker, you're going to be fine. I don't employ anybody personally, but I do see firsthand how sought after good talent is in the job market. And good talent, by the way, is a good talent in any endeavor. Right. I'm not talking about um, I'm not talking about lawyers or the best doctor. But of course, that's the case as well. I'm talking people, you know, warehouse workers, people who are just looking to punch a clock and work a nine to five. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you are. Just understand that you're going to have to keep working hard because the, the nature of work is going to change. It doesn't matter if it's a, a six-figure attorney or a seven-figure attorney or a five-figure cook. People will do what they can. Employers especially will do what they can to get the best. When most jobs involved repetitive and menial labor, it kind of makes, makes sense why a union would help you out. If you, if you are only limited by the productivity of your machine, there is only so much money that you can actually earn. Even in the manufacturing world, though, this is changing. Automation creates new ways for workers to become even more production productive. But generally speaking, the nature of what that work is will change faster than a government school or a government program could manage to overcome. One place, by the way, that we're seeing this... Uh, That we're seeing this happen is in journalism and thank god for it these bloated and corrupt corporations are turning out garbage on a daily basis thanks to the corporate journalists who diligently man their keyboards simultaneously while this is happening while we're seeing the, the implosion of a lot of these major media institutions we're seeing places like uh substack where i write um empower the best writers and thinkers to cultivate their craft This has caught the ire of these corporate journalists, and no wonder. They believed a union would protect them, and they're probably not that good, all things considered. So, you know, they're not going to be able to make a lot of money writing. It is remarkable how many media institutions are not profitable. Apparently, BuzzFeed has recently acquired HuffPo, or the Huffington Post, and while, quote, BuzzFeed is a profitable company, we're not that profitable and we don't have the resources to support another two years of losses. Those losses that Jonah Peretti was talking about exceeded $20 million. Yeesh. Now for better or worse, most of these reports reporters will have to find and writers will have to find a new place of work. But there was, um, I guess I didn't address it directly in this article. My um, My bad but uh, they had to fire like 20% or something of their staff, 30% of the staff. But, you know, even though they had to go, they had this statement from the union. Today, we learned that 33 of our unit members, nearly 30% of our unit are being laid off. Our union statement, quote, we are devastated and infuriated, particularly after an exhausting year of covering a pandemic and working from home. Yawn. We were all doing that. In order to be employable, you have to have valuable skills. I hope you're listening to this. No one owes you a job. Nobody deserves what they make. You have to fight for it. If you're not interested in this kind of a mindset, I'll ask you to peek behind the curtain. Let me, let me back up for a second. If you're not interested in this kind of mindset, unsubscribe. I'm not interested in having you as, as a member of my show and a member of my community. If you are, I'll ask you to peek behind the curtain with me for a moment. As I write this on Sunday, on a Sunday evening and record this on a Thursday night, I have a full-time sales job that I enjoy a lot. The only thing I enjoy about as much, the only thing I enjoy as much as writing this newsletter and hosting this podcast is my, is my, my full-time job legitimately. Once upon a time I bought into the ridiculous notion that unless somebody noticed how good I was There is no way for me to work as a writer or a content creator. This newsletter is not my main source of income right now. And while your one-time donation or recurring subscription is welcome, it is not required to get the better sense-making that I provide. I'm making an investment of time here, doing this newsletter, putting out five days of consistent content for seven months. I say this because I'm proud of myself. Forgive me so that we, you and I, can bring this message and this mission to a larger audience. The future has never belonged to those who don't aspire for greatness. And the progressive mindset would like you to believe if you play by the rules, your turn will come. But as free men and women, we know that we must create value for others and wealth will follow. So, before I let you go for tonight, uh, I did want to just talk very, very briefly about the fact that the Substack is now monetized. Um, so, I hadn't tried this, but I think if you were to go to beenawake.com, uh, beenawake.substack.com, whatever, slash subscribe. Yeah. I will um I will most assuredly by the way I will have this away. So if you go to binawake.com/subscribe, it'll forward you to this address. You can take a look. Um I am currently from now until the end of uh the end of July, I am offering a lifetime discount on my annual membership. So that's only that's the low low price of $48 a year. That's 50% off of what an annual membership will cost you after 731 I would, um, I would be eternally grateful to anybody who wants to donate their hard-earned dollars to the mission of better sense-making. Um, doing the show is truly a joy for me. Writing has, has been a joy for me. And, and, and I know that this is something that I need to do more of, and I need to bring this message to more people. And you help me do that by parting with some dollars. If you think about it, you know, it's 60 something, whatever, $50, $48 a year is not that bad of a price to pay all things considered. And that's going to give you a lot. Um, You're going to get access to the full archives. All the archives are going to be going away soon for free subscribers. Um, I did record video for this. I'm looking to invest in some new, uh, like a new computer and some editing equipment or editing software. So I will be able to more easily produce video for you guys. Cause I know a lot of people like video and that's only going to be available to um, full, full videos are only going to be available to subscribers for sure. I might do some uh, clips, but full videos are only available to subscribers. So think about it. It's 10 bucks a month or $48 a year right now. It'll be a hundred dollars a year. Come August 1st. Um, I'm going to be hosting private monthly Q and a sessions as well. For any subscribers And if you're a subscriber You're going to have a direct line to me And you're going to be able to give me If you want me to write about something I will absolutely write about it Provided it's, I feel like I can provide value On the subject And if I can't on the pages Of the newsletter I will definitely let you know Why I can't in a message And kind of give you my thoughts That is So think about it I'd really appreciate it subscribe To check it out um, let me know what you think. If you like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.